Hi, you are listening to High Value Women, brought to you by the New Feminist Magazine. We are your hosts, Ellie Massiara Fielding. It's your favourite gay menace, Adam Zarsby Rawlings. <laughs> gay menace. <laughs> and we are here with a another guest. Can you believe it? Obviously, we're thriving, but not just we're any just guest. so popular. We have brought back the one and only Josh from one of my favourite episodes from last year. Um, and we thought, because it's LGBTQ plus history month, what better time to bring him back? Hi, Josh. It's your second favourite gay. <laughs> it's the second favourite one. Tis I. <laughs> Hello again, everyone. How are you doing? Oh, I'm doing very well, thank you. Very well. I can't believe it's February already. LGBTQ plus history month. It doesn't. They had doesn't... to give us a shot this month. Yeah, yeah, in it. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like that's you know that mm, was intentional. Like, I mean, I feel like I mean, I think they missed a trick because they could have just killed two birds with one stone and given us June instead, and like Pride and exactly. Gay History Month in the same month. So, if that's anything, true. we should almost be grateful. Like... <laughs> <laughs> oh no! <laughs> nah, I'm not grateful for the crumbs I'm given. <laughs> As you should <laughs> exactly preach. Um, right, let's just dive straight in with our Femi facts. Who wants to go first? Okay, go so... First. Oh, oh, go ahead, Josh. Standoff. Okay, I'll go first this time. Because <laughs> um, I can't. I couldn't actually believe mine. I, I'd wondered about it, and I thought, I think it might be true, and it is. So, Ooh. do you know, more people have... It's the Oscars coming up, obviously. It is. Bar- it is. Barbie was robbed, can I just say? Oh, Greta. Miss Greta, Miss Margot. Mm. Um, more people have been on the moon than women have been nominated for Best Director. Oh, Why am I not surprised? Mm-hmm. So how old did, how old did the Oscars? What, 95, 96 yeah, years? Something like that. I eight. think this next one will be the 96th one. Yeah, eight women have been nominated in that entire time for oh. nine movies. Oh, my God. No, so, wait, nominated? Nominated. Nominated. Oh yeah, babes. We ain't even talking wins here. Yeah, yeah. Oh my god. So Lena Wertmuller for Seven Beauties, Jane Campion for The Piano and The Power of the Dog. So she got nominated twice. Good for her. Uh, Sophia Coppola for Lost in Translation, Catherine Bigelow for The Hurt Locker, Greta Gerwig for Lady Bird, amazing film. Uh, yes. Chloe Zhao for Nomadland, Emerald Fennel for Promising Young Woman, and Justine Triet for Anatomy of a Fall this year. Mm. And that's it. And yet confusingly 22 movies that have been directed by women have been nominated for an academy award what's that, going on isn't that just the, the hypocrisy of it all oh did you not did you guys see the um like oscars like ad and it was like the is it jimmy kimmel who's presenting it yeah he does yeah. he's lost on his way to the oscars this is like the story of the ad um mm-hmm. and he goes to like barbie land and knocks on um What's her name? Kate McKinnon. Uh, Weird, Weird Barbie. Barbie. Yeah. <laughs> Brilliant character. <laughs> you guys harmonised then. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's like, help me find the way. And then there's this whole like Barbie skit. And then they end up like at the Oscars and um, uh, Ryan Gosling's there. And um, he says something like, Greta was no they're like Greta's not nominated and he's like huh and then it's like this whole thing but the Oscars made this and posted this so I'm like 
Babes, um, did you forget? You made these decisions. Yeah. What is the this? call is coming from inside the house. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly that. What the hell? It was so weird. Mm. Anyway, that was a good Femi fact. I feel like I'm <laughs> it still was a learning good stuff fact. every day. <laughs> Honestly, holy shit. All right, Adam, you go. Okay, so my Femi fact is more just uh, an announcement. Well, two announcements. Okay. First of all, I am now a mother. I have two cats. I uh, just oh thought God, that congratulations. everyone know that. Woo! Two girls, Frida and Sabrina. Everyone give it up for the babies. They would be in the room right now, but they were having Zoomies, and I thought I need some peace and calm. <laughs> and my other announcement is um, very exciting. Everyone get your drinks ready. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> the I know what's coming. The one and only Queen Shakira has finally, finally announced that her new album is coming on the 22nd of March. Las Mujeres Ya No Lloran, which means women no longer cry. Very feminist message. That's how I'm linking it in. <laughs> That's my announcements. Girl, even if the message was like anti-feminist, you would find a way. <laughs> oh no, trust and believe. <laughs> no, that is very exciting. It's been so long, right, since she's had an album. 2017 was the last one. Wow. I was it a fresher. Long overdue. Oh shit. Wow. It's super long overdue then. I've, do- I've got two degrees, gone through like four jobs since then. Like Shakira. <laughs> I know I know like in all fairness, she had to scrap a lot of the album because that man and his actions, but still. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Finally it's here. Already pre-ordered the vinyl. Go to Shakira.com to get your copy. <laughs> free, free promo. <laughs> <laughs> and how about you if she's brought to you by <laughs> Shakira? <laughs> we know you I'll listen. <laughs> Friend of the pod friend of the pod okay cool um i found a study it's a, it's a little bit old but i think it still s- would stand up and at the very least it's interesting um by two professors uh psychology professors in the u.s called kate ratliff and uh shigahiro oishi and um their study is called gender differences in implicit self-esteem following a romantic partner's success or failure so it's obviously <laughs> Not a very catchy title, but academic studies never are. Mm. Um, But it's super interesting. So basically the study showed um, how men basically feel worse about themselves when their female partners succeed um, in anything, (laughs) which is wild. Um, And they also found that actually women's self-esteem when when it was reversed um, didn't take any hit whatsoever. In fact, most of them were quite happy for their partners. Um, and to get even more detailed it actually showed that men took their partner's success as their own failure Um, and just to like validate it because I know people are like well what was the study um, like how did they conduct the research they studied 896 people across five different countries two of those um, studies were conducted in the Netherlands which was very specifically chosen because they obviously have the smallest gender gaps in terms of like education politics and labor in the whole world so they thought that's a good like control um and even the men there said that they felt fine about their women their their women (laughs) the partners Ellie has been (laughs) cancelled it was a matter of time honestly (laughs) (laughs) I'm surprised it was this and not all the wizard talk on the Christmas episode, to be honest. (laughs) Let me try that again. Okay. Their partners. (laughs) They said they felt fine about their partners, but this implicit self-esteem test actually revealed otherwise. Um, So really interesting. I can't say I'm surprised, 
but um I just I'd I'd not seen that study ever um talked about or like I've never seen it shared so I thought let me big it up yeah like I'm not gonna lie that does not shock me but you know what it's always good to have the numbers exactly that's so true so very true and I think that Ellie and I are going to be surprised by some things today because Josh Mm -hmm. the lovely Josh has graced us with his historical knowledge again Josh do you want to tell us who (laughs) we're going to be talking about today Mm mm-hmm uh well i've actually written a really you know mysterious introduction again like i did with mood. so it's the crufts dog show february 1923 a figure named john with short hair trousers a waistcoat and a panama hat steps out from their car they are accompanied by their award-winning dashens and a female companion but john is in fact a woman named radcliffe hall and the companion is her lesbian lover una her masculine clothing is not just risque, for many it's an unnatural abomination, as is her sexuality. But Radcliffe's radicalism was far more than wearing men's clothes, and her lesbianism, attitudes, and especially her writing would bombard society with a new world of queer culture. Ooh. Boom. <laughs> <laughs> you really did the uh, little switch there. <laughs> oh, yes. So this is Radcliffe Hall, everyone, who was uh, a groundbreaking um queer lesbian writer of the early 20th century i feel like if anyone has studied either either you know queer history or queer literature will have probably come across her book the well of loneliness which was a enormously controversial book but also very important in the later 20th century when there wasn't very much lgbtq literary um literacy around to actually mm. for young women who were trying to find their sexuality sort of find a a, a home but mm-hmm. then that later proved to be problematic which we can probably come to at the end of the podcast really sort of how attitudes have changed just in the last hundred years between the lived life and experiences of 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 you know queer people mm. and you know like back in the day um a lot of queer literature was sort of either hidden behind um you know pseudonyms um mm-hmm. or there was I feel like oh by the way my credentials is that I study literature at uni <laughs> not quite the same but I know a little bit um is uh how a lot of the stories that they would write um queer writers I mean they would make them uh sort of purposefully ambiguous so that they would sort mm. of be okay mm. to be published to uh, to a wider audience and you know also so they didn't get like prosecuted or anything <laughs> so it's quite mm. interesting the whole the whole topic mm. but where where sort of read so like you say so yeah the likes of oscar wilde if you've ever read a picture of dorian gray there are mm-hmm. obviously homosexual connotations there but we <laughs> see that because we know that oscar wilde was gay and that they're homosexual the whole point of that is that you know would would people back then have realized it and in fact people did and extracts of um of uh, a picture of dorian gray were used as evidence in his trial for gross mm. gross indecency in 1897 there was something mm. about i loved um passionately and earnestly and the prosecutor said to oscar Wilde, have you ever loved a man passionately and earnestly like that and it was all it was it was really used against him and we sort, we, sort of, we sort of come on to that and the laws around um people being homosexual 
uh imagine being asked that today i'd have to be like i mean i've tolerated a man passionately and earnestly but like <laughs> let's, not, let's not take it too far yeah yeah i mean you'll probably get loads of comments now from oscar wilde lovers saying that's not what it says in the book but i can't remember exactly what it says but that's okay we're yes, paraphrasing it, here we'll probably paraphrase. do that quite quite uh, yeah often. yeah yeah <laughs> i mean let's say it most of our family facts just come from tiktok so <laughs> pretty much all of them actually so so miss um, radcliffe hall Diva mm-hmm. work queen. Absolutely. Absolutely. So she was born um, Marguerite Antonia Radcliffe Hall on the 12th of October 1880 in Bournemouth. Uh, her father, Radcliffe, who her middle name is named after, um, had inherited a fortune from his father, who was an eminent doctor and head of the British Medical Association. Um, but as in all typical late 19th century men, he just spent most of his time chasing other women and not really yeah. being around the home. Um, her mother was Mary Jane Sager, who was a widow from Philadelphia, who we believe today suffered quite severe mental health issues. Um, so there's lots of confrontation between her and Radcliffe, especially sort of in in in, in later life, which really comes across in her writings, especially yeah. in The Well of Loneliness, which we see um later on uh so when Radcliffe was two her father abandoned his family and she was left alone with her mother um their relationship was as I said before disastrous uh Mary frequently told Radcliffe that she was unwanted she was the unwanted outcome of a failed abortion uh oh, regularly Christ yeah she regularly stole from her so of course her father had uh, had left her allowance the mum regularly steals from that and oh. um and sorts of to finance her own life and um when Radcliffe's father dies uh, she marries uh, a professor of music at uh, in London and again he's not particularly nice to Radcliffe because Radcliffe from the outset is very different you know mm-hmm. she doesn't conform to the normal late 19th century societal expectations of a of a heterosexual woman um mm-hmm. But uh, when she was old enough to leave home, um, she realised she had enough money that she never had to work. Her father had left her enough money to sort of live a very, ha- you know, comfortable life for the rest of her life. Uh, okay, so we- goals. Yeah. <laughs> Lord, I've seen what you've done for so- others. <laughs> <laughs> so, so with no job and little education, um, Radcliffe moved to London and then spent her 20s travelling around Europe. Girl, I wish. <laughs> honestly living the life i mean i know you know like patriarchy misogyny mm. but but mm. also like so get that coin girl um yeah. okay question so she's left home she's away from mum who's mm-hmm. not the best when do we get into the gay shit we get into the gay <laughs> shit now adam we're, we're, we're here yes. now because from the outset she does not hide the fact that she loves women and she have, oh, has has crushes for women so she she ventures around europe and any high society lesbian woman she will sleep with essentially who fancies <laughs> okay. her she she absolutely adores it um and Go i think that that is a that is a very important um sort of difference between gay men and gay women in this period and the sort of freedoms that they have to be themselves Mm -hmm. um and that sort of comes under two things that comes under the understanding of female sexuality well they just thought they'd have any right in this period well yeah in this period Mm -hmm. and then the actual 
what is written under law. So homosexual acts between two men had been outlawed since like the Tudor period. So it Henry the eighteen thirty three. That's the one. The buggery Damn. act. Indeed. I did a session for work this week on LGBT history, so I'm like, um, it's all fresh. <laughs> oh, in the you are ready. Exactly. <laughs> cool. Cool. Well, so you can tell me then about the uh, eighteen eighty five Criminal Law Amendment Act then. No, I can't. No. (laughs) (laughs) So basically, since the Tudor times, any sexual interaction between two men, so essentially gay sex, was outlawed. Um, It was quite hard to prove, though. You had to have pretty decent evidence. And of course, all the hoity-toity lot got away with it. I mean, the King of England for 25 years was gay. Like James. James, Edward II? James I. James oh. the first, and there is a brilliant new um, uh, program coming out soon called um, Mary and George, which is about uh, George Villiers and his mother, and George Villiers was the Duke of Buckingham, and he remains today the only homosexual partner of a monarch that has actually been recorded in the annals of 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 Parliament. You know, Charles James the first actually openly tells his Privy Council that he loves. This man, so yeah, Aww, that's gonna that's be kind of cute. That's gonna be really cool to watch. So watch out for that, people. Um, I hope I finish the Gilded Age by then because that's my latest obsession. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, Such so a historian. Sorry. sorry. Um, so in eighteen eighty five, um, the Criminal Law Amendment Act was passed, and this is mainly to tackle prostitution and increase the age of consent for women. So the age of consent for women was raised from 13, that's 13, to 16. Um, but then along comes Henry Labouchet, who's this sort of like, no one really knows who he is. He's an MP, but he's quite quiet. But then he picks on these really weird sort of crusades to go on and just before the act is 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 passed he slips in what's now famously called the Labouchere amendment and so the Labouchere amendment made the act of gross indecency between two men illegal gross indecency means any form of homosexual intimacy holding hands in the street you know kissing being seen too often together uh, an act against the law, punishable by two years in prison with hard labour. Um, Damn. And the thing is, you don't really need much proof because you can just say, oh, well, you know, I have a letter that you wrote to this person. It's called the Blackmailers Charter or Act because it meant that so many people could then be blackmailed. So if you have, um, so if you have, a, if you're gay and you have a lover, but your brother finds out and has all your letters he can blackmail the other person into giving them money and titles and that or they will expose them and so many people fell foul of this act so oscar what this is the act that oscar wilde is charged uh, is, is, is prosecuted right, okay. with in 1897 this is the act that alan turing is is um done in for in in the 1950s john gielgud uh the famous actor um Oh, Noel Coward, very lots of people in the early 20th century. You know, was appeal, repealed. I know that it this. was like a different time and all that. Like, I get that. But honestly, could people not just get a fucking grip? Like, <laughs> okay, like two boys want to kiss each other. Like, it's not that deep. Like, I know that, like, you think God is going to like smite you down or something like that. 
let them get smoten, smited, smited. <laughs> like it's not that deep. Like I it mean, really isn't. Mm. Mm. I know it's like a thing of the times, like the context and like history is mm. all context, right? But mm. from my like comfortable twenty first century context, I'm like, y'all get a grip. I know, like you really didn't have fucking dangerous. clean drinking water, like. Was it really that big of a deal? I know you kind of had bigger Absolutely. problems to sort of like, deal with. Wasn't but... cholera kind of running rampant in your cities? And yeah, rats were like true. eating babies and shit. Like, let's move yeah. on, guys. Yeah. I have a question. Go for it. Um, you said um that it, this was between two men, right? What about mm-hmm. women? Well, this is it. You see. Whilst law forbade homosexual acts between two men, societal views of women as non-sexual beings meant lesbianism, whilst sort of like a taboo was not illegal. So two men living together immediately raised suspicions of, oh, you know, they're getting it on, you know, they're a bit, you know, fruity. Um, Let's, (laughs) sorry, Adam laughed at fruitiness. I'm trying to use use language of the age here. Um, (laughs) They're getting it on. Um, Two women living together was, 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 you know, it didn't sort of raise any eyebrows. Um, It was never seen as suspicious or promiscuous. Um, Several rich lesbians like Radcliffe Hall in the UK and America lived what um, were referred to as Boston marriages. So these were where two women sort of lived together, sometimes in a sexual relationship, but sometimes not. And they just sort of spent their lives together, sort of between the two of them, they were married and you know, maybe amongst their friends and that, but it never sort of raised any eyebrows. And this is probably the, my favourite ever fact. And Ellie might remember this from our days at Inquire. Shout out UKC again. Because <laughs> um, I put this in our quiz during lockdown. Do you remember the pet of choice for high class lesbian women? Oh, you have to remind me, but <laughs> I, I, remember the, I remember this can question. I guess? You can guess, sure. Is it like a normal pet or is it like a random pet? Oh no, very exotic. I kind of want to say raccoons for some reason. You are really not far off at all. Ooh, badgers? You are no, no, no. Now you're going the wrong okay, way. It was, a, it was a ring-tailed lemur, which was sort of like. <laughs> Wait, no. This really, I don't. Okay, I have no explanation for this, but that really like oozes gay, and I've got zero. It really does. <laughs> like, what is it? That's just well, gay it's energy. Like... It's like, oh, you have a dog. I've got a ringtail lemur. Like, ring-tailed it's just lemur. that. It's just gays doing the most again. Let's be real. <laughs> That's true. It's like yeah. a gay person won't say thank you. They'll say you threw the first brick at you threw the first brick at Stonewall. Like, gays just do the most. Mm-hmm. 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 Of course, they have ringtail lemurs. <laughs> <laughs> and so, and so, there was actually such fear and 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 concern that actually raising this issue of uh you know lesbian love um that the government actually decided intentionally not to legislate against it because they feared that if they legislated against it, it would spread the sort of ideas and so when they did when when there were you know sort of attempts to try and um, make it illegal in 1921 the director of public prosecutions said that criminalization would make public to thousands of people that there was this offense that there was such a horror. The Lord Chancellor said that only one in a thousand women had even heard of lesbianism. Rubbish. And Babes. one MP 
One MP argued that to leave them entirely alone, not notice them, not advertise them, is the best method that has been adopted in England for many hundreds of years. That's hilarious. So basically, they were like, yo, we can't make it illegal because then everybody would know that lesbians exist and it would encourage the behaviour. We can't do this. That's exactly it. That's exactly it. You know what, though? Like, isn't that just the truth, though, that men are so scared of a woman's sexuality? They're like, we can't even mention that it exists. (laughs) That's exactly it. That's exactly it. But this is what's so really interesting about the late 19th century because running alongside this sort of crusade to make it illegal is um, actually a real scientific study into um, what it means to be homosexual and why are you homosexual Mm -hmm. Um, I'm just going to stop here while I I do a lot of people, we're going to be talking in very binary terms today so there's going to be lots of gay, lesbian homosexual um mm-hmm. that's purely because they are the terms used at the time mm-hmm. so you know it's just sort of like yeah to, 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 to get that out there um yeah no that's fine you know. um so you know but f- so for centuries uh being homosexual was just seen as a criminal and criminal condition sort of like it's what criminals are criminals are homosexuals um it was a mark of uh, criminal and ne'er do well intent this changed in the early 19th century into assumptions that it was a medical illness and of course, that's where we get, you know, the horrors of conversion therapy and electroshock therapy to try and treat it, um, which actually continues way into like the 1980s. And of course, has still not actually been um, made illegal. Conversion therapy is still legal in the UK. Um, mm. I actually know a place in Northampton that does it. No um, way. Yep. Yep. Lord help me. Um, but actually running Post alongside the address this... Of stocks. <laughs> Running alongside this, um, in the late 19th century, scientists um, actually began really looking into it because for years, sex had been such a taboo subject and sort of like a private thing. But in the late 19th century, people actually sort of like really begin investigating it in the sciences of it, of the science of desire and of intimacy. And these are really cool. It's just known as a sexology. Really easy to, they don't give it a fancy name, it's sexology. Um, and then within that, people look into the, the, the nature of same sex desire. So, sexologists such as, uh, let me get this name right, Richard von Kraft Ebing from Germany um, argued that homosexuality, far from a criminal offense or illness, was perfectly normal. And it was just, people are just born gay and. Oh, they needed um, a scientific study to know that. Yeah. <laughs> okay, here's a bit of a random question. My question is, would you want to know, if they could say, right, the science has like, been worked out, we have like a definitive reason why people are like attracted to the same sex, why people, whatever, would you want to know? Is this like hmm. a gay gene sort of thing? Well, kind of, like... If they could quantify, okay, this is a scientific reason why people have same-sex attraction. It's like, there's not a theory, it's like a definitive, Mm. this is the reason. Would Mm. you want to know? No. I wouldn't either, I don't care. What does it matter? I almost feel like knowing as well, it would give people more reason to be like, okay, so how do we prevent it? If that makes sense? That's exactly it. As soon as people Mm. find the cause, they look for the cure. Yeah, that's so true. Cure. Ugh. I know it's just it's it's no you know we've you know we still haven't dis- discovered the cause for Alzheimer's and dementia that can you maybe go and find that first and then we can mm. get a cure for that like yeah let's prioritize it can we prioritize yeah. things that actually make people poorly 
rather than happy and in love. <laughs> yeah. Well, sometimes. Sometimes, yeah, that's true. Mm. Um. Yeah. So, uh, the the problem with Richard von Kraft-Ebing was that he thought that homosexuality could be corrected. I'm using quotation marks there by a hypnosis he thought you could be hypnotized into being <laughs> being straight <laughs> um so and then in 1897 um british sexologist havelock ellis who we think is bisexual we have we believe he's bisexual he was married but we believe he was bisexual published a book called sexual inversion and this was the first medical textbook on homosexuality ever published in english um, in the book, Ellis coined the term sexual inversion. This argued that gay men and lesbians were people who appeared physically male or female on the outside, but felt internally that they were of the opposite anatomical sex. So gay men were men that were born men, but had the soul of a woman, and that lesbian women were born women, but had the soul of a man. Um, therefore, their homosexuality was just, you know, quote, latent heterosexuality. You know, the person on the out, on the inside loves the person that they're, is attracted to the person that they're supposed to. Right. Um, so basically, it's that whole thing of they were born in the wrong body. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, we're not talking about uh, transgenderism here, although he did do studies into, in, into transgenderism. Um, but yeah, obviously this this is just about the binary of gay and 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 lesbian. Mm-hmm. Um, this is really like good. This this was I know now it seems very very you know sort of limited, rustic, but, yeah, but back <laughs> then it was like ground <laughs> groundbreaking stuff. And the really bad thing is that Havelock. Could you imagine if Havelock Ellis's book had actually continued into the twentieth century? How different societal views was but no along comes everyone's favorite psycho sigmund freud who says that no no we can cure homosexuality through um oh pseudo psychology um it's just problems that they had when they were a child and all that lot and then that leads on to the sort of electroshock therapy and conversion therapy um havelock was sort of like you know what they're they're born in the wrong body, quote, but just leave them alone. Like, they're not doing mm. any harm at all. Um, so, sorry, back to Radcliffe. Radcliffe um, was in her late teens when all the sort of literature was coming out and she, like, gobbled it up. So she openly called herself a sexual invert because of Havelock Ellis's book. Um, so free from prosecution and with enough money to not have to marry to Mm -hmm. like secure position in society she openly called herself a sexual invert and spent her 20s traveling around europe conducting affairs with other women um but what was really really iconic about her because again let's just say lesbians were everywhere around this time you know (laughs) that's what everyone (laughs) feared was that they were everywhere what really you know sort of makes her stand out is that she adopted the role of what they called the mannish lesbian Sort of, right. so she renounced all traditional female dress. Um, she wore trousers, she wore monocles, hats, she cut her hair short, she appeared outwardly, you know, as a man. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. And this is where sort of we come into where she's quite controversial today because it's sort of like, well, why is it because she's a lesbian, she has to appear like a, a like a man, sort of, and that's where the sort of binary that Havelock Ellis 
brings in is a bit problematic. Um, but, you know, in a world where gender roles and, and dress were strictly enforced, so trousers for women didn't come in until the, the 1910s, just before the Second World War, and they weren't really trousers. They were sort of like flowy dresses with like leg holes in the bottom you, you know, <laughs> like harem it, pants basically yeah, yeah 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 but they were so flowy they didn't really but no she's wearing like proper men's trousers um Radcliffe's personality and especially her openness about it was at best enormously controversial and at worst just downright disgusting right of. but she's out there she's living it because you know going back and that's why that concept is so important she's a gay woman, so not against the law. She can live by her own means. She has contacts. She can live, you know, so her best she, life. She, she basically, she's out and like not mm-hmm. hiding it and everybody knows it, but she just yep. doesn't care. And she is just mm-hmm. like... Mm-hmm. She's kind of like clown the system, really. <laughs> mm-hmm. Amen, amen. So in August 1907, while traveling through Germany, Radcliffe met the well-known opera singer Mabel Batten, uh, uh she was 27 and Mabel was 51 but they very quickly fell in love and when Mabel's husband died Mabel came over to London and joined Radcliffe in a house in Cadogan Square which is very very sort of fashionable Mayfair Knightsbridge mm, sort of area um and there they held sort of like F Scott Fitzgerald parties of just have to get get all the lesbians around sort of oh like, love this. all the lesbians yeah, around. So, so, so Gertrude Stein, of course, very famous early mm. 20th century lesbian. She's believed to have gone there. Um oh, wow. It was like the 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 place to be, you know, a couple of ring-tailed lemurs jumping around. You know, <laughs> <sort of> like... <laughs> oh my god. I wonder if you know like when you go to a house party and there's always like people that make a splinter group in the kitchen. Yeah. <laughs> which yeah. I'm always that person I wonder if it was like the Lima group Maybe, <laughs> it was just yeah. people that split it off played the Lemas. Our Lemas. this is Julian this is, Ma- this is Maurice we've got our Lemas they're like oh Lemas I need to are adorable, my though. oh they are they really are they stink though don't have one climb on you they really smell because they have those glands that sort of secrete their perfume so they really stink <laughs> really yeah. I, I'm, I met a Lima um in Longley and she was really old um so um and she like lost the muscles in her jaw so her tongue was just constantly out it was really cute it was very cute (laughs) (laughs) I've not met a lemur I mean I've seen them but I've never had like an interaction with a lemur I've also never been to Longley oh well it's like south south so yeah i'll take you one day let's go i've been to chester zoo and they've got lemurs there you know i've seen a (laughs) lemur before in case anyone says otherwise (laughs) yeah i I feel like i've been to 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 longleat because i watched so many episodes of animal park when i was a kid (laughs) on bbc (laughs) (laughs) i love the gorilla lived on the island surrounded by the sea (laughs) (laughs) ben fogel like first lovely crush <laughs> him though with his little like fleece on i was like get it king <laughs> so, okay so, so we're partying with the lemurs it was and it was mabel that gave radcliffe her male name john in 1915 uh and radcliffe used this as her chosen name for the rest of her life so she asked friends oh, okay. to call her john she really did in- envelop this sort of thing of you know, I am, you know, sort of, again, the mannish lesbian, like I wear men's clothes, I have a man's name, sort of like that. Um, 
1915, Mabel introduced Radcliffe to her cousin, the talented sculptor and translator Una Vincenzo, who was uh, married to Lord Trowbridge. At the time, she was Lady Trowbridge. Um, Una and Radcliffe became lovers almost instantly, and uh, Mabel died the following year. Uh, and Una moved in with sort of like heartbroken Radcliffe. Radcliffe was very heartbroken at the fact of like, because Mabel had been like her first long term um, partner. Mm. Um, so she's very distraught. And um, but they're also quite guilty about the fact that they have conduct they conducted this affair while Mabel was still alive. And so they become like avid spiritualists and they conduct several seances where they believed they received advice from Mabel beyond the grave. Um huh. so yeah, they they they're very um avid about a sort of like staying in contact with Mabel and I think they may have done it for like the whole for, for as long as they both lived sort of like stayed in contact with her wow. um una officially separated from her husband admiral lord trowbridge uh in 1919 to be fair he was 25 years older than her like if you look at pictures of her online look up una trowbridge or una vincenzo she's like this young glamorous sort of like you know jordan from baz Luhrmann's, um great Gatsby she sort of looks a bit yeah. like her very short hair very glamorous mm. slim and then you look at her husband who's sort of like there with all his medals on and his funny little peacock hat and it's sort of like <laughs> I've actually got there? a picture up of her right now with Radcliffe mm-hmm. with their uh mm. dashens with their dashens yes award-winning dashens Award- and I um highly recommend everybody go look up this picture because one of the dashens <laughs> is definitely overweight <laughs> it's really <laughs> cute <laughs> that's a fun so, yeah I have a question and it might be like the wrong question to ask. So we know that at this point, Radcliffe has chosen to go by the given name of John Mm -hmm. and they have portrayed, they started to dress in men's clothing and like they're very Mm -hmm. masculine. They're very masculine as a person. Mm -hmm. Obviously, I assume the concept of transness wasn't really, I mean, I know that it existed because it's always existed, but I'm curious, do we know of any of her own internal, other, I should say, because again, we don't know, um, is there any writing that they left to discuss gender identity as well as sexuality? Because I'm just curious Good about question. that. Not to say that like mm. a butch lesbian has to instantly become a trans yeah. man, but mm. I'm just curious about mm-hmm. that. I think, don't forget, she's she she's inspired by the books that she reads and sort of i don't think i don't believe she ever sort of saw herself as a man she believed she saw herself as inside she was a man but outside she was she was she she was a woman um and so which is why we still call her she even though she asked to go okay. by the given name john and all her so all the books she was written is written under her female name radcliffe I see. um although that is the name of her father um so sort of, but no, definitely, and you know, you I'm sure you know as well as I do, Adam, but there were plenty of um, transgender people around. Obviously, transgender surgery and gender confirmation surgery was in its very, very early days. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's happening, going, happening over on in, in, in Germany. These are transgenderism back then is definitely sort of like trans women dressing up as women, but obviously still outwardly appearing male. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, I don't, I don't believe that we have any reason to believe that she was trans. I, I think she was just sort of like, she, 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 she really took on what Havelock Ellis wrote about being, you know, if you're a lesbian, you're a man inside 
and a woman outside. So she sort of like takes on that. I see. It's like interesting, role. isn't it? Because I suppose it's one of those things of like our understanding of sexuality and gender. Like, I think people don't appreciate just how much it's tied to the context of where you grow up and, like, your own beliefs mm. and whatnot. Mm. I think this is why I get so frustrated when people talk about, like, oh, there's only two genders and, like, no, they have an issue with, like, people like me who are non-binary. And it's like, no, there's actually been gender divergence and conflation between mm. gender identity and sexuality as long as mm-hmm. people have existed. Mm-hmm. But every culture and context is different, you know? Mm. I wonder, I do wonder if she, you know, was alive today or, you know, was raised in today's society, Mm. if that would change and, you know, if the resources she had would, you know, Mm. influence the way she saw herself and if she would Mm. maybe identify differently. It's very interesting, Mm. isn't it? Because, you know, Mm. there wasn't a huge amount of, not like today, (laughs) there wasn't a huge amount out there to go off. So, no. While no. we've been talking about that, I've also seen the fat dog. I mean, it's very cute. <laughs> <laughs> it is. Link, link in bio. Link, link, link in podcast description to the picture of the dog. Um, yeah, not the article, by the way. Just the, yeah, just, just just the, the dog. dog. Just the fat dog. <laughs> but uh, the picture is in the article, actually, I think. So yeah, that's cool. We, we'll plug that, don't worry. <laughs> so... Um, so we've actually gotten to like her writing career. Um, Radcliffe had written five books of poetry between 1906 and 1915, but she only really began writing books and like seriously in the 1920s. Um, her first novel, The Unlit Lamp, was published in 1924. It told the story of Joan Ogden, who dreams of breaking free from her overbearing mother, sound familiar, uh, and becoming a doctor. Uh, she also longs to buy a flat and have a Boston marriage with her quote friend Elizabeth. Um, Semi autobiography, then. <laughs> yes. So the the lesbian tones of the story are are very highly ambiguous, though. Like we were saying before, like Oscar Wilde, right. it's sort of like, oh, I want to move in with my friend. You know. Mm, yeah. Okay. Um, so it was not considered inappropriate, um, but it's length, and Radcliffe really doesn't do happy sort of stories and fulfilling stories her stories are always really quite dark and lonely and 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 downcast and very like this is the life that we that we lead and that we have to leave sort of like it was the destiny of 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 lesbians and homosexuals to be society's outcasts and sort of like there was no sort of like we need to build a better world it's sort of like this is the world as it is and we just have to be miserable and bear with it which is why she's so problematic today um and why well i'll come on to that in a minute um so radcliffe had much more success with her two comic novels the forge and a saturday night life that's life not live um (laughs) she didn't write snl wow Um, she's the founder And um, she had international success with her 1926 novel, Adam's Breed, which is about a disenchanted waiter who abandons modern life to become a hermit. So it's quite a religious book. She was quite religious, remember. She's 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 quite a staunch Catholic. And, mm, um, interesting. And, uh, yeah, spiritualist, like we say, she's trying to speak to, to Mabel from beyond the grave. Uh, and Adam's Breed won her several awards and made her a household name. Um, but Radcliffe Hall herself says in her diaries and letters that she wanted to quote smash the conspiracy of silence 
around lesbianism. Ooh. You know, that's what she really wanted to do with her books. And she did this in her 1928 masterpiece. And basically what we'll be talking about for the rest of the podcast, which is The Well of Loneliness. Have either of you read The Well of Loneliness? I haven't, but I've heard I, I of it. I have not. Yeah, me it's, too. It's like a really influential book. Um so Radcliffe began writing The Well in 1926 after the success of Adam's Breed. Uh, she was determined the book cover the happiness, but also the social isolation, rejection and self-hatred typical of gay life in, in that period. Um, she made it clear to her publisher that not a single word was to be changed, arguing, another great quote here, I have put my pen at the service of some of the most persecuted and misunderstood people in the world. Wow. So she basically said, if you change this, it's not, I'm not publishing it, basically. Um, so the book tells a story of, you know, the mannish lesbian Stephen Gordon. Um, her parents had been expecting a boy and so gave her a male name. And from the beginning of the story, you know, she hates dresses. She wants to cut her hair short. She really wants to be a boy. And again, this is that thing of the binary between sort of if you're a lesbian, then you obviously inside you're a man. And then if you're a gay man, you're obviously inside a woman um that sounded really wrong didn't it inside, inside yourself <laughs> you are a woman i don't um, think there's a good way of phrasing me, it to be honest excuse me for that little uh slip there um but unlike the unlit lamp and all sort of um literacy literacy before the homosexuality in the well was unapologetic and blatant so Stephen first falls in love for the housemaid, age seven. Age 21, she falls in love with neighbour Angela Crosby. And in one scene together, quote, Stephen took Angela into her arms and kissed her full on the lips as a lover. In another scene with her second lover, Mary Lewin, Llewellyn, Stephen uh, meets, meets her serving as a nurse in the First World War. Uh, quote, Stephen bent down and kissed Mary's hands. And that night they were not divided. And again, it's that sort of thing. And this is really huge considering, you know, the lengths that Oscar Wilde went to to conceal, you know, homosexuality in a picture of Dorian Gray. And other. so like E.M. Forster wrote the uh, novel uh, Maurice, um, which is about a a homosexual uh, uh, young man and his partner in the 1920s, but swore his publishers not to publish it until after he was dead in 1971 sort of like so so he wanted to write this um but he knew it would get him into trouble and so way way after he was dead it was then published which is sort of sad but Radcliffe is like no this is this is going out this is what's happening <laughs> like um I love that so it also confronts societal views on homosexuality as well in the well of loneliness so in one scene Stephen is confronted by her mother uh, who has a go at her for her quote unnatural cravings of your unbalanced mind and undisciplined body after she oh, discovers dear. her affair with Angela if I had a penny for every time <laughs> <laughs> but you sort of like Stephen who's sort of semi semi autobiographically Radcliffe um, replies as my father loved you I loved as a man loves a woman that's how I loved it was good 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 um and then at the end of the story, Stephen discovers a copy of um, Kraft Ebing's work. Remember the guy that first said mm-hmm. that homosexuality wasn't an illness or, 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 or a criminal thing uh, in her late father's study. And she sort of realises 
she she finds herself uh, and she finds comfort in the fact that what who she is is perfectly natural and um that her father knew all along even though you know he sort of died knowing it it's sort of like a uh, a thing but you know quite obviously um... this is this is a story about a young lesbian woman falling in love with other women and finding out that she and finding herself um well I imagine when you said that, that... Oh, sorry, Ellie, go ahead. No, I mean, I was just going to say, I imagine that 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 really was quite a powerful Mm -hmm. thing to happen, to be published. Like, that that must have Mm -hmm. shaken some (laughs) people. This is, again, this is the sort of big, big crux. Um, But, you know, before we get on to that, I think we need to say that the book also sensibly highlights the social isolation and what Radcliffe saw was the hopelessness of the gay experience. So everyone who Stephen loves in the story, she loses. So Angela returns to her husband. Stephen cannot be public about her affair with Parisian hostess. And the the book ends with her sad realisation that she can never make her beloved Mary the last you know the great love of the story happy and so she forces her to leave and marry a man um and in the final line at the final line of the book is Stephen crying to God give us all the right to our existence um so it really hits it sort of hits that as well it's sort of the thing of you find so you find yourself but then in this world of the 1920s it's you cannot be happy sort of mm. it's 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 a hopeless task sort of so it's, it's sad it's that really that's so true sad. for a lot of people as well i mean like yeah as someone in, like who's queer in the uk i mean we have our own challenges mm. but we you know we mm. we do have the abilities to mm. date and find love and mm. to largely live undisturbed like but there's mm. so many people around the world that still live in a, a world just mm. like that mm. so, and it's like it it's so sad but it also frankly it makes me angry because it's like Mm. people just people deserve a right to happiness i mean Mm. controversial take i know um Mm. (laughs) but yeah it's just like ellie said i can imagine how powerful that was not only for actually bringing a conversation about lesbianism into the public discourse when so many people tried to well, like, no, they literally, they refused to legislate on it on the basis that they didn't mm. want people to, like, understand that this was a thing. And she's kind of being like, nah, fuck you, it's going to, we're, we're having the conversation. Mm. But I imagine there were a lot of queer people that also read that and thought, I finally feel seen. Yeah, that's what I was, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Mm, mm, mm. I can't. Representation matters. Yeah, it really does. Absolutely. It really does. Absolutely. And, you know, so it's easy to imagine that this book caused immediate societal outrage uh, and when it was published on the 28th of July 1928 um, so there were some naysayers um, some argued it was too preachy others including Virginia Woolf um, argued it was very poorly structured and again just a bit miserable to be honest <laughs> oh, shit. That is this is Virginia Woolf this yeah. is Virginia Woolf calling something miserable by the way <laughs> so, yeah, I was going to say this... Woolf calling something a little miserable. bit hypocritical um, do you know what's really funny is how how some things just haven't changed because how often is too preachy used for anything for any kind mm-hmm. of media that is remotely outside of the norm like anytime there's Mm -hmm. anything that has even a tiny feminist message Mm -hmm. or you know a queer one you always get those (laughs) critics who are like too preachy i mean case in point the six new names for the london overground system that were announced yesterday yeah (laughs) absolute outrage we can't have one called windrush we can't have one called suffragette 
We can't. No, I must say, uh, who did approve some of those? Because I know some of them are a bit icky, crap. like yeah. having a suffragette line. Like, yeah. really, you're gonna name them? You're gonna name a train? <laughs> like, is that really what you want to do? I mean, yeah. you know what? Like, the just is the gesture. Like I said earlier, though, don't be grateful for the crumbs you're given. Oh no, no, no! But like. You know what? It's like it's a fucking train. Like we've got bit mm-hmm. the economy's in the toilet. Like everyone's depressed. Bread Someone... costs like a five or a loaf. Like you know, we've got bigger fish to fry again, people. Yeah. Someone, <laughs> someone. So of course, scrolling through all the sort of like gammons complaining about it, someone put on there who gives a shit what they called so long as the trains on them run on time. Like it doesn't really matter. <laughs> I mean, which we know they won't. <laughs> I feel like we're all in the same boat there. That's the one thing that unites yeah. us. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so everyone's sort of saying, "Oh, it's a bit dark." It's big. but what no one for, for weeks actually raises any condemnation about is the outright display of lesbianism. Um, oh. Enter James Douglas. Who would like to guess what newspaper James Douglas was the editor for? Daily Mail. Uh, one of the awful ones. Not Daily Mail. The Sunday Sun didn't Times. exist yet, did it? No, no, not the no. The Sun didn't exist yet. No, no, Hello, no, magazine. No. It was, it was the, <laughs> the Sunday Express. So we're talking oh, about oh. the Express. The Express is here to ruin everyone's day. Oh, what a surprise! Yay! So he, James Douglas, is the editor of the Sunday Express and a dedicated moralist. You know, this is the sort of guy who hates everything. Well, Katie a Hopkins stick in the, of the day. Yeah, Katie Hopkins. If he doesn't like it, it's absolutely outrageous and it must be stopped and it's immoral calamity so just after just just under a month after um the well of loneliness is published copies of the daily express and billboards across england features posters advertising douglas's upcoming article the book that must be suppressed oh my god oh yes and so when the article came out the next day douglas completely harpooned the well he called it quote a seductive and insidious piece of special pleading which displayed perverted decadence as a martyrdom inflicted upon these outcasts by a cruel society and he's trying to make us not want to read it yeah. I know, I know. I'd hear seductive, and I'd be like, like "Sorry, yeah. where, where, where I was, was like, that available to buy?" Hmm. I tell it's a waterstones. <laughs> <laughs> He argued sexual inversion and perversion were becoming dangerously prominent and that the well of loneliness brought home the need for society to cleanse itself from the leprosy of these lepers. Um, Like all right wing, it's all about the children, you know, (laughs) protect the children, protect the children. So very, very cruelly, but I think in typical like a right wing newspaper style, he wrote, I would rather give a healthy boy or a healthy girl a file of hydrogen cyanide than this novel. Do it then. (laughs) Yep, do it. (laughs) Yep. That's what he said. Oh my God. No, it's always, it's always these like right wingers who are just so dramatic and they think Mm -hmm. we are like, just chill out, please. Cyanide. When did mm-hmm. this come into it's the so equation? It's so funny though, because they really think like that's the gag. Like they'll say something like that. It's like when people say like my pronouns are fuck you. It's like they think they ate. It's like yeah, babes. Like <laughs> just this is twat. not the, this is this is not the serve you think it is. Like no one mm-hmm. moved. Yeah. So isn't this like not that long after World War One as well? Yeah, nineteen twenty eight. So, okay, mm-hmm. bigger like, problems here. 
Yeah. With peace yeah. and love, the depression is like yeah. going. <laughs> just about to come in. Oh, it's not happened yet. Okay. Just well, about to come in next year. Well, shit's going wrong for the depression to come soon. So, like, yeah. maybe if you'd spent less time being bothered about <laughs> a cute little lesbian book and more time on that, then maybe <laughs> the depression would have never happened. Mm. It's all this man's fault. I'm calling it now. <laughs> it is all this man's fault, basically. Um, and it only gets worse from here, really. So, oh, he ended his article by calling on the publisher to withdraw the novel and for the Home Secretary to take swift action. You know, it's for the Home Secretary to do. Um, and this next sort of thing, I think I want to make a regular thing on if we were to do another history podcast after this one. It's called Today's Episode of Men Doing Things on Behalf of Women Because They Think They Know Better But End Up Fucking Everything Up. That's, that's going to be episode. a segment. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so Jonathan Cape, who's Radcliffe's publisher, in an effort to sort of prove that there was nothing wrong with it, sent a copy of the Will of Loneliness to the Home Secretary, William Joyston Hicks, basically saying, you have a read of it. It's fine. There's nothing wrong with it. Obviously, the arch-conservative Home Secretary reads it and immediately agrees with Douglas that, you know, this is... <laughs> That you know, this is gravely detrimental to the public interest, and um, he basically said that if publication wasn't ceased, he would begin he would begin criminal proceedings. And Radcliffe herself finds out, and she and she called the move imbecility. She basically <laughs> says, she "What ate. the fuck did you do that for?" Basically, <laughs> like, why As did you did. do that? <laughs> like, but also. Miss Girl, the newspaper, who decides to, like, lose his mm -hmm. fucking wig over this. Do you not realise that writing shit like that, like I said before, like, you're trying to make me not read it. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry, but literally, when in the history of anything ever has someone having a full-on hissy fit like he did over a book like that prevented <laughs> anyone from reading it, it's just going to make people want to read it more. That's Isn't exactly it? the next point. So the irony is that the Sunday Express's campaign, which was now supported by several newspapers, was greater publicity than anyone could ever have wished for. And so the book <laughs> sold out. Of course it did. Out. Of course it did. I love this for her. And then, and then so, so um, Jonathan Cape, the publisher, promises the government that he will stop publication but then he leased the rights to the book over to Pegasus Press, Pe Pegasus Press in France, who then began publishing it and then importing it over to the UK and then selling it more and more. And more. Exactly <laughs> as it I should mean, be. If you're selling it to someone called Pegasus, like, mm -hmm. let's be real. Yeah, let's, <laughs> that's so true. Like, let's not clown ourselves here, people. But unfortunately, you know, the plot was soon uncovered and the Home Secretary commanded the Chief Magistrate, Sir Charles, Sir Chartres Byron, to begin what's called an obscenity trial. So it's basically where a piece of writing is put on trial for oh being Oh my God, take obscene. a day off. <laughs> what in the Florida is going on here? So, so, and that's exactly what all of the literary world were 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 saying you know they were outraged by this you know so despite disliking the book and the rampant lesbian is it virginia wolf was affronted by the government efforts to censor literature and assembled a group of about 40 fame very famous writers and you know we're talking about em forster george bernard shaw hg wells t.s Eliot, vera Britton, to sort of like build a defense of this as sort of like you know the book might not be iffy, but you cannot ever, you know, sort of like stamp on 
sort of like what someone's trying to say in a book you know i think virginia needs to be you know down in texas or somewhere like that these days sort of like you can't ban a book like absolutely that's a massive argument um so they sign a letter in protest of the book suppression and they arrange the defense of the trial the problem is in an obscenity trial because not one person is on trial and there's no jury it's purely up to the you know, you know the chief magistrates or charters to decide for himself. And so when the trial began on the 9th of November, 1928, um, he said that he would hear no witnesses for the defence. And uh, he said, I don't think people are entitled to express an opinion upon a matter which is the decision of the court. And they even got Havelock Ellis, you know, the great Havelock Ellis who had started this whole thing. He had to stand down as, you know, the star, um, you know, witness for the defence, sort of saying, there's nothing wrong in this book, it's perfectly natural, like... Um, again, we can sort of guess, you know, well, if he state, takes the stand and says there's nothing wrong in 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 what's described in this book and then it's printed in the newspapers, they've got a whole moral problem on their hands. So it's probably easier for them to say, actually, no, we're not hearing anything from the defence. I'm going to just judge this book literally by its cover. Um, <laughs> shit. Literally That's by its wild. cover. That's um, wild. Not, so tired. Not even, <laughs> not, not even Radcliffe. Because she herself wasn't on trial, her book was. She wasn't even allowed to speak up for it. Oh, for the love of God. Oh, my God. So the defence was originally going to rest on the argument that the book only contained platonic relationships and there was no lesbianism. Well, Radcliffe wasn't having that. She told the defence, if you run with that defence... I will stand up in that courtroom and tell them that that is an absolute lie and that this <laughs> does show lesbianism and et cetera, et cetera. You know, she's sort of like says, no, 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 no. This book runs on its merits or it doesn't run at all. Like, what good for her. Take you know a stand. What? How is this not a movie yet? Yeah, that's so true, actually. <laughs> that would be such a powerful scene. Yep. Oh, shit. She takes a stand. Um, shit, not the new so... feminist spawning a film. <laughs> with what money babes <laughs> so oh my god ellie you could star you could star could we do like a, a, a like like an opening scene could i be like oscar wilde in the dock or something like i'd really like to be oscar wilde like... are there any light brown characters sure. <laughs> <laughs> i don't not. know who i'm gonna play maybe i'll play like the evil like villain yeah you could play <laughs> just like play like play gordon Play it, like play completely Douglas. gay though. Oh, like yeah. I reckon I reckon I could be a good Lima. <laughs> <laughs> Just throw my name in the ring. Oh my god, no, actually. Ellie's a Lima, Josh is Oscar Wilde. We haven't cast any of the actual main characters. Yeah, main I am the villain, but I'm just playing it deadpan, the gayest thing I've done in my entire life. We've gotta do this. Just get Sheridan Smith to play it. She plays everyone. Let's get Sheridan Smith involved. If there's a wrong woman, the... Sheridan Smith's playing. And the GoFundMe will be in the episode description. <laughs> I also have a fat dog to fill the role of the fat dog. Oh, exactly. <laughs> All coming okay. together. So... One of my cats is kind of brown. She could pass for a dash and... <laughs> so... Go star with me as the other lemur. <laughs> so... so... <laughs> <laughs> so basically, um, in you know, in 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 the second edition of 
men doing things on behalf of women because they think they know better but end up fucking everything up. Um, the defence argued instead that the well of loneliness's literary merit is a good enough reason for its preservation. You know, it's such a good book, you can't get rid of it. And all the chief magistrate says was, well, you know, a well-written obscene book is even more harmful than a poorly written one. And it's basically, it's like, well, that's not a defence. If it was I mean, shit, then I'd abandon yeah, it. Mean, I'm not going to lie, he has a point, but yeah. <laughs> And um, his verdict was that The Well of Loneliness was an obscene book. Publishing and importation was to cease immediately and all existing copies were to be destroyed. Oh my God. Please tell me that. Well, I assume because we know about it that like some survived. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't forget, they're in America. And the book in America actually goes through several trials for obscenity, but it always, they, they never achieve it. So the book is always in print in America. And of course, you get people coming over on holiday and, oh, I've just bought 10 copies of The Will of Loneliness with me that I'm going to leave in this park. <laughs> like, so, you know, like, and, cool. And basically, yeah. So um, so that was that, you know. Um, so this is sort of like the beginning of the end for Radcliffe, really. She doesn't really d- recover from this sort of, oh. this, this, this sort of like outrage you know while standing by her book and never ever renouncing her beliefs and attitude Radcliffe was really shaken by the aftermath of what happened with the will of loneliness um one thing that she was really affected by was a satirical cartoon it was called um the sink of solitude not the well of solitude and it was sort of like had to go at the whole charade of what this was so it it has to go at both sides so it has to go at you know Sir Chartres and Douglas for sort of like bringing about this obscure it's a book like grow up Mm -hmm. but it also lampoons um Radcliffe as well so um it features an illustration of her nailed to a cross in reference to the theme of sort of like religious martyrdom in the well um now Radcliffe is devoutly Catholic so this is just like horrifyingly blasphemous. And she just refused to speak of it for years. So people would bring it up and she'd be like, I don't know what you're talking about. I've never seen wow. it. Wow, that one really got um, to her. She only wrote one book after The Well, the religious novel, The Master of the House in 1932. But to ensure good sales, um, she was forced to remove the cover blurb and then her, and her name from the book and use a plain book sleeve. So sort of the book, sort of like didn't have anything on the outside you had to open it up and there it said you know the master of the house by Radcliffe Hall just because her name was just sort of so synonymous with controversy and and stuff like that um pre-sales were good but a series of bad reviews meant the book really slumped um in the 1930s uh (laughs) she and Una who had remained by her side throughout the trial you know yeah she should loving partner they moved to Rye in East Sussex and Radcliffe engaged in several lesbian affairs, um, including oh. one with the African-American singer and actress Ethel Walters, who is, is another amazing woman, if you want to go and check that out. Is this a consensual open relationship or... Mm, we oh, don't shit. Really Radcliffe, know. don't do this to me. Miss girl, I was rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. you. How mm-hmm, dare you? Mm-hmm. So, whilst on, well, it gets worse. So, whilst on holiday in 1934, Radcliffe contracts enteritis and then begins a nine year affair with her Russian nurse, Yevgenia Suline. Um, Una was apparently noticeably upset and hurt by Radcliffe's open affair, but remained with her like 
throughout this and all three of them moved to devon like they all moved together oh, for the love of god at the outbreak of world war Two. um so they're sort of doing it so yeah it sort of like gets a bit worse really um in 1943, Radcliffe was diagnosed with bowel cancer and several attempts at surgery proved unsuccessful and she died on the 7th of October, 1943, at the age of 63. Um, her ashes were buried next to those of her first lover, Mabel. Remember speaking to her through the, like that uh, at the cute. Circle of the Lebanon in Highgate Cemetery in London. So Una is sort of like distraught at this. Her lifelong partner has 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 gone has passed away um she's sort of glad to see the back of the russian nurse to be honest she sort of like gives her an allowance and sort of like tells her to clear off um she had all of radcliffe's clothes adjusted to fit her and then wore them habitually um she wrote she wrote a biography in 1945 and uh, actually wrote in her diary i could not having come to know her imagine life without her so, you know, sort of Una's sort of like silent support act here, you know. Oh. Ellie, can, Ellie, 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 Ellie can play Una. Oh my God, I don't Ellie think can I can do Una. it justice. I, I'm going <laughs> to stick with the Lima, but we will find a good Una, I swear. Yeah. Well, yeah. I do feel really bad for her because obviously mm-hmm. she loved her so much that she mm-hmm. put up with what seemed like <clears throat> an open relationship that mm-hmm. she obviously wasn't okay with, but was like, was I'd rather have that. Way. Yeah, mm-hmm. I'd rather have that than lose her. And then she gets buried next to Mabel and she's like, has to be okay with that. And then, but oh, this is, shit. It, it, it's, do you want to know something really hot, bad as well? Now as well? <laughs> I don't know, so, man. So, <laughs> why not? This is, why this, not? Is, this is one last betrayal sort of of Una and the lesbian life that she and Radcliffe had lived. When Una died 20 years later in 1963, the instructions that her coffin be placed in the same vault as Radcliffe and Mabel and Mabel, they were discovered too late. And so she was buried where she died in Rome. And it's inscribed on her tombstone, Una Vincenzo Trowbridge, the friend of Radcliffe Hall. Oh, oh my God, I'm deceased. Yeah. No. Oh, my God, my heart yeah. can't take it. Happy Valentine's um, Day, guys. Yeah, happy <laughs> Valentine's Day. <laughs> oh my I need God. a drink. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Okay, well, I feel Let's like... Let's talk about the dogs again. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like this this was a story that needed to be told, though, because... Absolutely. There's so mm. much there. There's so much to unpack. There's so much to talk about. Mm. And there's so much that I feel like people, like, need to know. Mm. You know, you need to understand your history to understand your... your and it's present. such an important sort of, like, book... So, like mm. I say, even after Radcliffe's death, this book lives on. Um, and it was like a, a beacon of hope for young queer readers in the mid sort of like 19th century before gay lib came along in the 1970s. I might um, read it. This actually, yeah, yeah. Like, it's, it's, it's unsolved. I, I love the fact that so in 1935, the Home Office was asked to ban another book for lesbian connotations. And they found a memo that basically says it is notorious that the prosecution of the well of loneliness resulted in indefinite, infinitively greater publicity about lesbianism than if there had been no prosecution. So basically, the Home Office admitted that do you know what? if we'd have just let sleeping dogs lie it wouldn't have been such a problem well aren't <laughs> men just the kings of never leaving well enough alone yep. yeah yeah <laughs> they truly yep 
Truly. And even so, they banned it. And then 20 years later, Falcon Press uh, printed the edition, uh, the first edition printed in England since the ban of the well. And they face no legal challenge. And it's been in continuous print ever since. Oh, yeah. Okay. Love that. Okay. What was even like... the point? <laughs> like, what was even the point? That is called a tremendous mm. waste of everybody's time mm-hmm. <laughs> and resources. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, sort of like before we sort of like sum up, you know, I think it's difficult sometimes when you're talking about this to put into words how important books like this are to sort of like young closeted people who are finding out who they are, but also just people who know exactly who they are but can't live their true selves. Yeah, And nothing says this more than it makes me cry every time I think about it. And I was like in tears when I first when I first learned about it at university, it made me cry. So the book is on every LGBT plus books to read. Um, everyone can find it now, but it even made it in. It even provided like a shining light in the darkness of the Holocaust. So Um. one Holocaust survivor told a journalist or someone who was investigating the well of loneliness, they said, remembering that book, I wanted to live long enough to kiss another woman. Oh, oh my God. No, don't do this to me. Yeah. Oh, that's the sort of impact that that book had that wow. the British establishment tried so hard to not publish Those and destroy. Old, crusty white men. It reminds me <laughs> of what happened to gay prisoners of the Holocaust after liberation because they didn't mm-hmm. get to go home. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. For those of you who don't know, they were literally, they were sent to mental asylums and a lot of them died there. Yeah. It's like, mm-hmm. trauma and, continues. Well, the Nazis... Well, the Nazi legislation against homosexuality wasn't repealed until German unification in 1990. Well, it's like, wow. I mean, yep. half the countries today, and probably more than half actually, that criminalise homosexuality today, first of all, about half of them don't criminalise lesbianism for the same things we talked about earlier. Mm-hmm. But also, a lot of them have laws that weren't even made by the indigenous populations. They were made yep. by colonial powers. Mm-hmm. I mean, like... And in some countries, say like when India decriminalized in 2018, there were large parts of the city, you know, of the country, even like bigger cities like Bombay and Delhi, where queer identities were largely accepted before that. But the irrevocable damage that that period of time and that attitude that people had around not only sexuality, but gender divergence and so many other aspects of life that were so regular and normal in colonial nations before colonialism fucked everything up basically mm-hmm. there's still a massive unlearning now i think that's what people don't appreciate just how much colonialism like and i know we're talking about queer history but just how much it oh screwed it's over all queer linked history. There. you can't exactly mm-hmm. yeah 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 you can't separate them in in, in a lot of instances you, you really can't and it's also, I'm reading Babel, so I'm like, <laughs> I'm colonialism mad right now. <laughs> I'm like, my but blood like, is boiling. I do. Th- First of all, like Josh, thank you so much for like giving us this information yes. because I had heard of Radcliffe Hall, but I knew essentially nothing about them, nothing at all. Hmm. And it does. I mean, I, I know I've said two times already. I'm going to say it again. Don't be grateful for the crumbs they give you, hmm. but I am grateful for the fact that I am able to live largely comfortably as who I am and I've you know my no one's ever tried to silence my writing before no I mean 
I've had some death threats, but you know, that's what it is. Um, you know, some cute little death threats. Not gonna lie, when I got my first one, I was like, oh, I'm doing something right. <laughs> um, but there is a gratitude to the fact that we have a lot more freedoms, but also it's a reminder mm. that, you know, we mentioned Florida before, but books are still on trial. Queer stories are still on trial. Mm -hmm. Stories about particularly queer people of colour are still on trial. Mm. And it's so important, like Ellie said, you know, to look back at where we've been, to know where we are and what where we need to go in the future. Mm. So thank you for the education, Josh. It's really important. Yeah, it's yeah. Absolutely. Everybody, pleasure. Little, little round of applause. If you want to read more about uh Radcliffe Hall, you have uh some unanswered questions. Josh has actually written an article about Radcliffe Hall, which you can find on the Collins section of our website under her street, where pretty much all articles were actually written by Josh. <laughs> and I highly recommend. So definitely go and, mm -hmm. and read it and check it out because damn. That was a story that needed to be told. Mm -hmm. What a life. What a life. Right, hey. well. <laughs> it's, just, it's time. It's, it's that time oh, no. again to, to close the episode. But that has given me a lot to think about and a lot of emotions. So I feel yes. like it's the right time. <laughs> Every Everyone go and have either a cup of tea and a glass or a glass of wine after this. I think, <laughs> sorry, it wasn't as joyful as the Marie Antoinette one. But well, again, <laughs> I mean, Miss Girl didn't exactly have the best. I know, either. I At know, but it was a bit more light-hearted, like, relatively was... peacefully. At least yeah. she didn't get you know beheaded. Mm. However, alert for anyone both... that's not listened to that episode. <laughs> However, they are both very gripping, very important, and mm. um, let us know if um, you want another Her Street episode. I, I don't care. We're going to do it again anyway because I know that y'all want another one. <laughs> of course, you bitches are dying for it. Let's be real. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean that's it. Should I should I plug? Close us out, honey. Okay, you should know where to find us at this point. But if you don't, we uh, our website is thenewfeminist.co.uk. Our Instagram is at thenewfeministmagazine, and all other socials are at TNF Magazine. Yeah, hit us up. Happy History Month, babies. Bye. See you later. Bye.